Well, it's good to see you today. I'm glad you're here. And um, this is a very special, special day for our church. Just like we've had 26, 25 other special days. And I'm glad you're here today. And uh, tonight is going to be a, a really a, a time of celebration. Uh, I've always believed that talent draws talent. There was a time in the history of this church where that my wife and I were about the only talent. Uh, we did all the singing. And she played the piano, the one song that she knew. And she never could keep up with the song leader. And, um, But I'll tell you, God has been good to us over these many, many years to give us folk who have talent to sing and to honor and to exalt our wonderful Lord. And God's been good to give us people to help train and organize and put these folk together, uh, like Brother Pickett and Brother Billy Davenport. Brother Davenport started our choir for us about 25 years ago, not because we needed a choir. Because there wasn't room for people to sit out, so we put them on the platform. And uh, it's, it's been a good trip, and I'm looking forward to 26 more years. At least I got two folks who's pulling for me. <laughs> Amen. And... Uh, I don't know why lately folks start asking me how I feel. (laughs) You know, when we started this church, nobody cared. (laughs) And I was young and, well, not so young. But uh, uh, visitors, if you'll be patient with us today, uh, I'm going to take about uh, 30 minutes or so and talk a little bit about What's this place right here all about? Now, I know what it's all about because I started it. And if it's a mess, I can't blame anybody but me. It's God's church. He started it. But he moved on my heart and my wife's heart several years ago. I was in evangelism and had been for evangelism for about 12 and a half years. I traveled all over America preaching and singing and coon hunting. <laughs> and my wife and one more lady began to pray that I would run out of a place to preach and would have to start a church. My family could not find a church that they were welcome in. In fact, my wife had been encouraged to go to other churches where they preached the Bible. Knowing her, I can understand why they didn't want her there. But it was because her affiliation with me And so, with a broken-hearted wife and a thorough examination of the Word of God, 
I decided there would be a church in Joshua, Texas. That would be a hospital for hurting Christians. Where that everybody would be welcome. Regardless of the color, creed, whatever. And I want you to know there is a church in Joshua, Texas. That you're welcome in. And we'll love you. We may not love what you do, but we will love you. And we will help you. We will encourage you. We'll help you raise your children. And so for 26 years, God has been so good to us to allow us to be blessed by you. My wife, my family, and I are extremely grateful to you for all you've meant to us these many years and for helping us raise our kids. You can't do that by yourself. You need good, stable, Godly people to influence your kids in a godly kind of way. And if you think you don't need to help your kids, just wait a while. It won't take long till you find out you can't handle that job all by yourself. And so I'm going to preach to you today for just a little while. Not trying to impress you, not too worried about impressing anybody but God. But I'd like to talk to you today about what's this place all about? Why is Joshua Baptist Church here? There's so many churches in this town. Why do we need Joshua Baptist Church? What's this place? All about. Ephesians chapter number three for one verse, if you please, this morning. And boy, you wait till tonight till you hear some singing tonight. Now, you heard singing this morning. Tonight, you'll hear singing. Now, I don't know if you really realize the difference or not. But when I was in cemetery... I was taught to sing. I sung in the Messiah. Couldn't pronounce it, but I sung in it anyhow. I took voice lessons for three years in seminary by one of the greatest voice teachers in all the world. He's in heaven today. Was honored to be blessed by one of the greatest speech teachers, therapists that I have ever seen. Taught me how to breathe. It's terrible when you're 26 and you don't know how to breathe. I'm kind of slow picking things up that way. And I learned in seminary how to sing. But when I got in evangelism, I found out that singing don't sell too many records. So I started singing. And then uh, the sales went up. 
Now, I know you know the difference. Singing blesses your heart. Singing blesses your feet. Boy, there's a lot of wisdom in this old, old frame in there. Now, if you like the singing this morning, you'll really like the singing tonight. We'll have a great time in the Lord. Besides that, we'll have ice cream that the first time it hits your lips, your tongue will knock your brains out. Rotating against the top of your mouth. So, what's this place all about? Ephesians 3, verse 21. Ephesians 3, verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church. Is that what your Bible says? Unto him be glory in the church. Preacher, what does glory mean? I don't know. So I looked in the dictionary today and it says that glory means honor and fame. Adoration, great splendor. For today's vernacular, it means he is our MVP. Unto him, not me. Unto him, not you. This church is not about us. This church is about him. We don't come to this church to get what we need. We come to this church to give him what he deserves. Worship is not about us. Worship is about him. We ought to bring our worship with us. We ought to enjoy it while we're here. But we ought not to leave our worship here. We ought to take our worship with us wherever we go. Because this place. Is all about him. He is our MVP. The singing was great. But they deserve no honor. The piano playing is great. But they deserve no honor. I am. But I deserve no honor. It's all about him. Unto him. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Many folks think they deserve honor and glory. Some men are proud. An insolent because they ride on a fine horse or have a feather in their hat or is dressed in a great suit. But who does not see the folly in this? Because 
There would be no glory in such things. The glory is in the horse and the bird and the tailor. Because we're all just flesh walking on the same dirt without the horse, the feather, and the suit. See the folly in honoring and exalting someone else. Within our bosom and within our heart and within our being, there is put there by God the the desire to worship and exalt and to praise something or somebody. We all know names like Tiger Wood, Josh Hamilton, Larry Mahan, Gene Wolfenbarger, <laughs> Jim Thorpe. It's not anything out of the ordinary to go to a ball game and someone has a very, uh, very uh, exciting and, and prosperous evening. And it's nothing to see that one carried off the court on the shoulders of someone else. MVP. Glory. Adoration. Exaltation. Why is it that we can do that to a ball player or a rock singer and have so much struggle with it with the creator of this universe? Could I please suggest you can see Josh Hamilton. You can see Tiger Wood. You can see your rock star. But you can't see Jesus. You got to do that by faith. And not by sight. And you know when we come to church. If God blesses your button. He ought to say glory to God. Praise the Lord anyhow. You say well I'm not embarrassing myself in public. I'm afraid in most churches, if the Holy Ghost were to say shout, you'd say shut your mouth. I'm not being embarrassed in here. And you go to the ball game and absolutely act insane. Have you seen how some folk go to the ball game, peel back their coat, and they've got painted on their chest things that I can't describe. (laughs) Not embarrassed. Exaltation. Adoration, worship, praise. Here, all that belongs to God. Unto Him be glory. He is our MVP. He's the one who deserves all the credit. He's the one who deserves all the praise. It's all about Him. And for 26 years, he has done nothing but bless us and bless us and bless us. For 26 years, we've enjoyed a wonderful trip. And God just keeps on keeping on. For 26 years, we've enjoyed friendships and fellowships and acquaintances and good times and bad times. Ain't God good? I said, for you educated folk, 
Isn't God great? For you rednecks like me, ain't God good? (laughs) Adoration, praise, all belongs to him. What's this place all about? Verse 20 and verse 21. I want you to notice this. Yeah, I, I may not get to what I want to say, but I'll say it and then I'll quit and we'll go and get ready for ice cream tonight. So don't eat too much this afternoon. Unto him that is able. Now look in your Bible. Unto him that is able. Do you believe God is able? Is that just a spiritually able or could that be financially able? Or could that be domestically able? Or could that be occupationally able? Or could... What is God able in? Then why aren't you smiling? Now unto him that is able to do. Are you glad you serve a God that is a to-do God? Yeah. To do. Exceeding abundantly. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. In other words, today, we're here to honor, exalt, praise, and give glory to the God of far more than we think. You say, well, preacher, I'm happy at home. But God has said, I can do more. Uh, Preacher, our business is doing great. But God said, I can do more. You say, preacher, I'm healthy for my age. But I want you to know something. God is saying, I can do more. You are serving and I am serving the God of more. And if you want more, you're going to have to do it God's way. And if you want to be more happy, God's way. More successful, God's way. More healthy, God's way. More money, God's way. More job, God's way. Hey, we're serving a God of more. Why should we be down in the mouth and in the mully grubs and, oh, look how tough we got it. My God is a God of more. He can do exceeding abundantly more and above everything we have. You say, preacher, you've got a great church and a big membership. Yeah, but my God can do more. We're about to build 20,000 square feet down through yonder and down through yonder uh, at a cost of about $2 million. You say, oh, in the time of economic crisis, there is no economic crisis with God. God is seldom mentioned at six o'clock on the news. And he is not mentioned at 10 o'clock at night on the news. And he don't reside in Washington, D.C. And he does not open and close the stock exchange. He is the stock exchange. He controls it from his throne in heaven. And I'm saying to you today, if you won't more, you are Listening about a God who can do more. I thought that was good. 
Unto him be glory. How do we do that? By Jesus Christ. By allowing God to do more. Listen now. In us. Verse 16. For us. In verse 17. With us. In verse 18 and 19. And through us in verse number 20. Preacher, I'm doing all I can do. No, no, no. You are serving a God of more. You listen to me. You are serving a God of more. Don't let the news media and don't let the society and don't let the politicians program you to think that it's a fatal day. It's a great day. God is still alive and God is still on the throne. And the one that created is the same one that sustains. And the God that saved you is the same one that's going to sanctify you and satisfy you until he comes back. He's a God of more. Thank God he's a God of more. You say, well, you got all you need. No, my God's going to just keep on shoveling out. You say, preacher, you're crazy. He's made me more crazy. God said, I can do more for you personally. I can do more for you economically. I can do more for you domestically. Hey, I don't need a marriage counselor. I just need to do what I know I need to do. Amen. Preacher, I I need a financial counselor. No, you just need to quit spending. Preacher, I need need a nutritional expert. Quit eating. (laughs) Sew your lips together. You can lose weight every time doing that. Amen. I'm so glad that our politicians now are telling us we cannot have a big gulp at... DQ, because it's unhealthy. Yeah, tobacco and sugar is going to kill us. What a way to go. I'm telling you, preacher, that grease is going to kill you. Amen. Going to slide right on in. My aunt just died recently. I don't know what killed her. She's 97. She dipped Garrett's snuff all of her life. And I'd keep telling her, Gleela, that tobacco's going to kill you. She said, if it don't, the grease will. (laughs) Folks from Tennessee don't know anything about peanut oil. Margarine. God knows we got cows that gets real butter and hogs that produce real grease. You say it's going to kill you. Probably. Could I let you in on something? Grease and sugar don't kill you. Sin kills you. The Bible did not say the wages of Greece is death. 
Jim takes care of himself. He'll order the biggest cheeseburger in town. Loaded with a Diet Coke. You say, preacher, you're tearing everything up that I preach. What's this place all about? Number one, this place is a saving place. I started it so that people could come to this place and get saved. S-A-V-E-D, saved. Well, preacher, I'm not a theologian. What is saved? Well, it's the opposite of lost. L-O-S-T. If you're not saved, you're lost. And if you're lost, you're not saved. And if you're lost, you don't know which way it is back to the house. Because that's what loss is. You say, I got a GPS. Not one will get you to heaven unless it's the Bible. And this place is a place where that people can come and hear the most wonderful message ever to fall on human ears and be saved. You can come and accept Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin and bang, when you die, you'll slide right into heaven into a mansion prepared just for you by the master carpenter, Jesus Christ himself. This is a saving place. And as long as I'm alive and as long as I can kick and as long as I can bite and as long as I can scratch, it's going to stay a saving place. We're going to give everybody who comes an opportunity to come to an old-fashioned altar and there weep their way to an old-fashioned God and fall at the foot at an old-fashioned cross and leave it all there and be washed white as snow. This is a saving place. Anybody here been saved? Anybody here glad you saved? Bet you never had any regret that you've been saved. Now I've talked to folk who's had regret about their marital life, their occupational life. Never talked to anybody who regrets being saved. This is a saving place. Are you glad of that? I said, are you glad of that? Years ago, had a lady who was going to another Baptist church in town. Not this town. Another town. Visited our church. And I went to see her. And I said, ma'am, I'm sure glad you visited us on last, San- last Sunday. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a member of such and such churches down the street. I said, oh, that's wonderful. And she and I sat there and talked about Bible history. We talked about the divided kingdoms. We talked about Jeroboam and Rehoboam and all them born boys. We talked about the departations. I sat there for a while and we talked. And I said, well, ma'am, I I guess I better go. She said, preacher, could you please tell me what's this save business mean? What's this save business mean? 
Isn't it a shame to be a member of a church and not know what this save business means? Thank God this is a saving place. Secondly, not only did is a saving place, it is a strengthening place. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this. It says, That you, he would grant unto you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the interman. Interman. The man you can't see. The interman. Where all of the decisions in your life comes from. Where psychology and psychiatry cannot reach. Where only the Spirit of God can deep dive deep into your soul and find that little intricate part of you that makes the decisions in your life. The inner man. Psychology does nothing except looks at the behavior and begins to clip limbs off the bush. But it won't be long till the interman will produce more limbs. But the Spirit of God can give us strength. Way down where nobody or nothing else can reach and there begin to help us with our decisions, our behavior, our attitudes, our actions. And Paul said, if you'll just come to church and listen to the preaching of the Word of God and get a hold of the Spirit of God, it will strengthen the interman. It's there that you have fellowship one with another. It's there that you find forgiveness and have a new start next week. It's there where the foundation and the future is all straightened out strength 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 that when your wife wants to get the credit card and take off on another Kmart blue light special deal the strength to say no you got to go buy a boat don't spend that money on foolishness Strength to keep from having a nervous breakdown when you have teenagers. Strength to discipline, to say no, to say yes. Christian, no more than you're reading your Bible at home. Where else are you going to get strength to honor God in your life? Strength. This is a strengthening place. Because when we come here on Sunday twice and Wednesday once, my Bible said where two or more of you are gathered in my name, 
There I am with you in your midst. You know who's here today? The water walker. The wind tamer. The sick healer. The dead raiser. He who one day will split the sky riding aboard a white horse. And a name written on his thigh. The word of God. He's here today. Listen to every word. Examining every heart. Let me ask you. If he's here right now. That's probably the closest you've been to him all week. There's strength in the presence of the Savior. Can anybody say amen? You say you about done? Yep. It's a stabilizing place. Verse 17, rooted and grounded. If Baptist folk and God's people ever needed anything, if this society ever needed anything, it's stability. There are so many Christians that's wishy-washy, up and down, in and out. What a sorry testimony to a great God. Stability brings glory to God. Spiritual strength brings glory to God. The Bible said, therefore, my dearly beloved, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. I hope I do not have to apologize for this when we get to heaven. But I started this place as a place of preaching. Now, if you like teaching, we've got Sunday school for all that. But I like preaching. Somebody said, I don't like get yelled at. Well, just imagine that I'm not yelling. Just talking very excitedly. But I'll tell you, if you've been coming here long, I preach to keep your mind right. Secondly, to keep your morals right. And thirdly, to keep your marriages right. For 26 years, I've been trying to help you with your marriage. You won't let me. For 26 years, I've been preaching that man thinketh in his heart so is he. And you go out and buy some stupid magazine. That get your mind in the gutter or watch some crazy movie on television. I don't know why anybody watches them scary movies on television. Dear God, you know, I have enough trouble waking up in my dreams, fighting 
bobcats and lions and crocodiles and all of that kind of stuff. I do not need something oozing out of the wall and looking like a vampire with a tiger's tail and a tongue. Why do you watch that stuff? You watch as the mop flops and the worm wiggles. Younger and wrestlier. Hey, I'm enjoying older and slower. Preaching that will stabilize your mind your morals, and your marriage. Now, this is, that's what this place is about. Now, if you want to come down here and tell me why I'm not feeding tadpoles in Africa, you forget it. I ain't got time to talk to you because tadpoles are going to grow up into frogs and they can feed themselves. <laughs> but now, if you're interested in keeping your mind right, keeping your morals right, and keeping your marriage right, this is a good place. If you're interested in going to heaven, this is a good place. If you're in being strong in the Lord and the power of his might and be able to stand up and stand for God, this is the right place. I got to, I got to close. It's a safe, it's a serving place. It's a serving place. You say, preach or are you done? Yes, I'm done. It's a serving place. The Bible said in Matthew that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I believe that with all my heart. Somehow another Americans as a whole has lost their desire to serve others. Somehow another we've developed the philosophy and the attitude that everybody needs to serve us. And that's not true at all. I just believe that we are to serve God. I believe with all of my heart that our works is what glorifies God, not our words. Anybody can hire a praise team. Anybody, when the emotions get right, can raise their hand and roll their eyes and begin to sing, Hallelujah. That don't last long. That don't glorify God at all. That glorifies you. That blesses you. What about doing something to bless God? And the Bible said that God is glorified by our works. Our service ought to be productive. Our service ought to be passionate. Our service ought to be uh, powerful, bless your heart. And you say, why? Because Jesus did it. He said, I came not to be ministered to or to be served. I came to serve and to be ministered and give my life a ransom for many. Why should I serve God? Jesus did it. And it pleases God. That's number two. It pleases God. And secondly, it demonstrates love. You love God? Show it. 
Spanish philosopher tells about an aqueduct in Spain. It was built 109 A.D. And for 1,800 years, it carried cool water from the mountains to the cities. The cool water quenched the thirst of literally thousands. Nearly 60 generations of men drank from the flowing cool water that this aqueduct carried into town. After all those many years, someone said, we need to retire the aqueduct. And put in a pipeline. And they did that. They dried the water up. Put in a pipeline. And after a while. The brick and the stone begin to sag. And the wall begins to fall. And fail. What ages of service could not destroy. Idleness. Disintegrated. You know what's disintegrating the Lord's church? Idleness. The philosophy, serve me instead of allow me to serve. During the American Revolution, a man in his civilian clothes rode his horse by a group of soldiers who was building a small defensive barrier And the leader shouting instructions and making sure it was all done right. And the man in the civilian clothes asked the man, well, why don't you help? And the man who shouted the order said, sir, I'm a corporal. The stranger said, well, I apologize. I didn't know that. Tied his horse up and got off his horse and went over and helped the enlisted men finish the finish the, the barrier. He got on his horse and began to leave, and he said, Mr. Corporal, the next time you don't have enough men to do the job, why don't you call your commander in chief? He'll come and help you. The man's name was George Washington. Have we lost something in America? Yes, sir. Amen. Yep. It's not about you. It's not about me. Unto him be glory. Amen. And if you're not saved, the best way you can give him glory today is to accept his gift of eternal life. Amen. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you are saved, you need to accept his admonishment when he said, not forsaking yourselves together as the manner of some is. So much more as you see the day approaching. 